actually, uh, this message is probably going to be about three parts <laughs> because it's three messages because it's something that's vital and it's something that everybody wants to have, but so people obtain it, and that's fullness of joy. And I've really been seeking the Lord uh, on your behalf, uh, crying out to him that he would help you understand uh, how to be, have, have fullness of joy. And there's a lot of practical things he wants us to do to experience that, that fullness of joy. And I just saw, you know, Landell hug her son, Toby. And as she hugged him, they're both grinning, you know. And a lot of it has to do with relationship. You know, if you're an island unto yourself and you're not around anybody, you're not going to experience joy. Unless you're banished like the Apostle John, you can't be around anybody, but he was around somebody. He had an intimate relationship with Jesus who appeared to him on that mountain, amen? So you could still have joy, but if you have opportunity to be in fellowship, it's vital that you're in fellowship, amen? And that you're sharing what the Lord's put upon your hearts. So the Lord really wants you to have fullness of joy. And uh, the name of this message is basically uh, how to have a, a, a joyful, uh, a joyful, I, I got a few titles here, how to have a joyful new year, how to have fullness of joy. Uh, but I'm going to title this, how to have a joyful new life. That, that way this thing doesn't become dated. You know, some of the, oh, it's a new year back then. You know, no, they say, no, this is about how to have a joyful new life. It's not just about next year, but it starts with today. Amen. And hopefully as believers, you have joy, but we can grow in that joy because otherwise the scripture wasn't, wouldn't talk about how things are written that we may have fullness of joy to believers that already have some semblance of joy. Now, some people are just absolutely ambivalent to the, the, the understanding of how to have joy. You know, I mean, how do we have joy? Uh, it's interesting because our Declaration of Independence, the founding document of our country, written in 1776, says we hold these truths to be self-evident. These are probably some of those memorized or most memorable words from the document. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Created, right? Uh, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now the document does underscore that one of those rights that this country vouchsafes to uh, its citizenship is the pursuit of happiness. The thing is, the document doesn't give one iota on how to have that happiness. How to acquire that happiness. And we live in one of the most unhappy countries of the, in the industrialized world. Uh, it's interesting because happiness is connected to the word happening, happenstance. And happiness is often derived by people from what's happening in their lives. And if circumstances are favorable, they are happy. If they're unfavorable, they are unhappy and often depressed. And that's not the same as what the Bible speaks about in regard to joy. See, joy is an, a deep abiding, uh, goes way beyond happiness and circumstance. Because biblical joy you can have in the worst of circumstances, as we'll talk about. You can be in the worst of situations, uh, as far as all, for appearances sake, and have incredible joy. And the, the word joy is used over and over again. If the Greek and Hebrew words translated joy, uh, joyful, rejoice. The Greek and Hebrew words appear in the Old Testament, the Old Testament Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament Greek over 400 times in your Bible. Words that can be translated joy, joyful, rejoice. That's a lot of times. And that makes a lot of sense because God is a very joyful being. And we see that in Scripture. We're going to talk about that. And that's why it's important that you get to know him because his joy will more than rub off on you, okay? And that's, that, that's huge. And we have a joy that cannot be taken away as Christians by the world, the flesh, or the devil. That is if we're in Christ and we're seeking him, amen? So it's very, very important. And it breaks my heart, though, that the world, the, the document of the nation recognized the creator in the beginning, it talks about this pursuit of happiness, but that so many people don't have a clue as to how to have true joy. In fact, uh, it's interesting, some of the headlines I looked at not too long ago, headlines uh, on COVID-19, like depression rates in U.S. tripled when pandemic first hit. Now they're even worse. 
Uh, tragically, the suicide rate among teens in our nation is the leading cause of death among teens. Did you know that? Between age 15 and 24, nearly 20%, that's one every five kids, uh, students in high school report thoughts of suicide. And another 9%, that's about one out of 10, have attempted suicide. And what's amazing is the United States of America is among the most, if not, you know, the most prosperous nation on the planet, but more people in our nation seek psychologists and psychiatrists than any other nation. There's a lot of depression out there. And it's interesting because there are literally thousands, dare I say probably tens of thousands of self-help books that have been written. But God gives you a joy that no self-help book could ever help you achieve. Amen? And we know that because we know a lot of Christians and we, we have a lot of joy. Amen? And it's not something you derive by sitting on a rock and contemplating your belly button. You know, it's not something that just you get one day. It has to do with relationship with Christ, you know. And before I was a Christian, I had bouts of depression here and there, like every teenager. But when I came to Christ, I could say by his grace, he's filled me with his love and his joy. And I know when I'm more joyful than others. The more time I'm in prayer, the more time in the word, the more time I'm seeking him and having intimacy with him, the more time in fellowship with my brothers and sisters is the times of my greatest joy. And it's just amazing when we look at what the scriptures say about these things. Now, it's interesting. Uh, many believe that joy, and this is how most people look at joy. It's like, what can I get, right? Man, if I could just get that car or that stereo, right? Oh, man, if I could, if I could have that house, then I'll be happy. If I'm, that house would be happy. Or, you know, whatever. It's, it's about getting it. It will make you happy. That's how most young people think, and that's how many older people think, if they can keep up with the Joneses, if they can get it. Kind of John alluded to this in his, in his introduction, in his, in his, when, he did, uh, when, he, when he started us off this morning. No, that's not, it's not about it. It will always leave you empty. I gave a message one time where I quote Brad Pitt, Michael Jackson, Madonna, over and over again, all of them saying things, Shia LaBeouf, all these different people saying, I have this empty space in my heart, I don't know what's going on, or, or Tom Brady, I've won all these Super Bowls, and how come I'm empty, you know, or Michael Jackson, I'm the loneliest person in the world at the peak of his fame. If I could be famous and people recognize me, then I'll, no, that didn't do it, guys, okay? It's not about having it. It's about having him. Amen. Amen. It's about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says about seeking it instead of him. Proverbs 27, 20 says, hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of man are never satisfied. Ecclesiastes 1, 8 says, all things are worrisome more than one can describe. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear content with hearing. And Solomon goes on, and he knew it because he fell away for a period of time. And he says, it's like chasing the wind, right? You can't grab the wind. It's like chasing bubbles. You kid catches a bubble, but it's gone, you know? It doesn't satisfy. But Jesus is an abiding presence. He's the one who made us. He created us. He knows how we tick. He knows how we can be blessed and how we can grow in Christ. It's interesting. Yesterday, I read a study uh, that was pretty eye-opening Research concludes, and this was, a, this was the headline, research concludes low serotonin does not cause depression. So right now, uh, you know, antidepressants are passed out like, like you know, Xanax and others, like, like they're candy, to fight low serotonin levels. And the theory has been prop, propagated as though it's absolutely true that low serotonin levels is why people are depressed. It's simply an imbalance in the brain, and you need to bring that balance up, and then they'll be happy. Well, this study looked, it was a, a, a meta-analysis study of 17 large studies, and it looked at these 17 large studies, and it was published in the Journal of, Journal of Molecular Psychiatry, uh, and it called the Serotonin Theory of Depression a Systematic Umbrella Review of the Evidence. So it looked at all these major studies. And uh, it states, this, study, this, this article states, millions of Americans have treated their depression by increasing the level of serotonin in their brains with selective serotonin reuptake. 
inhibitors since Prozac came on the market in 1988. Now what's interesting is it says nowhere in the years of research uh, reviewed has anyone found any evidence that low serotonin levels in the brain cause depression. All the studies haven't shown that. So they're getting the wrong, they're, they're trying to say, okay, the symptoms, the, the outcome is depression, the, the underlying factor is low serotonin levels, and that's how we're going to fix people, you know? Dr. Uh, Joanna Moncrief, uh, she was the lead author of the review of all these different studies in Great Britain. She writes, quote, first of all, it must mean that we have no evidence that people, she's being asked, you know, you know what's the takeaway from this? What does this mean? Uh, first of all, it means that we have no evidence that people who are depressed have a chemical abnormality in their brain. Moncrief explained, it means that there is no evidence to support the serotonin theory and that although there are many other theories or speculations about brain abnormalities that may be linked with depression, they have not been demonstrated either. Isn't that crazy? They haven't been demonstrated. <laughs> so why is all these drugs being thrown at people as though it's going to fix it? I mean, isn't it helping in some way? Well, she added, so we, greatly cannot, uh, so we really cannot say that people who are depressed have any abnormality in their brain. Moncrief states, whether antidepressants work, I would say is debatable because the evidence from randomized controlled trials is so weak. Well, what's going on? She states, we know that antidepressants, for example, produce emotional numbing effects. They numb your emotions. They numb both negative and positive emotions. So yeah, you may not be as sad because it may numb that. It's not, has any, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with serotonin levels as far as we know. It just numbs your sadness, but also numbs your ability to have happiness and joy. Are you with me? This is stuff you're not going to see typically, you know, on 60 Minutes and stuff like that because the world has a way of dealing with things. They numb both negative, watch, there's probably been a whole thing on this in 60 minutes, I don't know. But, you know, typically in the world, I'll say that. They numb both negative and positive emotions, and they affect their, that effect may temporarily override or reduce people's underlying feelings of sadness, she says. Now, it's interesting. They might help you get numb to pain and sadness, but they don't give you joy. They also make you numb to happiness. That's very fascinating to me because the Bible tells us, you know, what the underlying factors are of depression and they're myriad. Sometimes it's guilt. Not, now, when I say this, don't say this, oh, this depression is always this. No, I'm not saying that. I believe there's mystery sometimes. You don't even know sometimes, but God uses it to get us to seek him. Amen. Amen. Sometimes it's guilt like Cain, God says, why is your countenance fallen? He was depressed. Then God said, I have a couple of Xanax. It's really going to bless you, Cain. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. He says, why is your countenance fallen? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? In other words, he was out of fellowship with God. He was full of, full of guilt. But if he got right with God, right, repented, he could be accepted. And now there's a lot of different reasons you can be depressed because you miss somebody or because of a physical ailment you've been struggling with or a lot of different reasons, right? But the answer, we don't always know the reasons behind the depressions other than the fall, ultimately, right? That's a more general way of explaining why people are depressed. Are, are depressed. But we do know the answer. The answer is always the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, God wants us to experience his joy to the fullness. And we, if we seek joy and don't seek him, we'll never find joy. Because Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, then what? Amen. All these things shall be added unto you. Amen. So joy is an inner quality, a deep, inner, abiding quality. It doesn't depend upon circumstances and what's going on around you. And that's very, very clearly taught in the scripture in fact, go to Philippians chapter 4. I find this so fascinating, this whole subject matter. And my heart is, man, I wish everybody could hear this message. I wish everybody could hear the message of Scripture on this. 
and understand that they can have joy. Because a ton of people are racking up things they're going to do for this new year. And almost like pretty much everybody's racking them up because they want to be happy. And they're saying, this is the road to happiness. You could lose 30 pounds, but not be any happier if you don't have Jesus. Amen? You can get this new thing. You can get this, that, or whatever it, it is. It's not going to make you ultimately happier or jo more joyful. And then the circumstances will change. That's what Jesus said, and John was emphasizing not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth but on heaven. But he, Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and, things, and thieves break in and steal. Guess what? Circumstances change. You can't put your trust in those things. But there treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust do corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. That's Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, verses 19 through 21. Now it's interesting, Paul, this just blows me away in, 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 in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in who? The in the Lord. Don't rejoice in it in things, but rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, we're going to get into this, man, a little bit uh, and jump around a little bit through the scripture, but this, is, this blows me away uh, because I love this because, listen, that show, that's a command, by the way. And I love it because he says to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He's emphasizing we're to rejoice. And I love this command. You know why? Because the command indicates that we can choose to be joyful. Amen. That we can choose to whether we want to be joyful or not. Amen. So you can't, don't have to leave here saying, woe is me, I just, hopefully I'll catch joy like Joe talked about and I'll get it someday. No, no, you are commanded to choose to be joyful. Well, how can I just choose to be joyful? You can. Well, how, well that's what this message is about. You can choose to rejoice, and you can choose to rejoice in the Lord. I love this because it shows me it's radically attainable for every single believer. Now, these are already believers. They're going through some tough circumstances and so forth, and they have joy to one degree or another, but Paul encourages them to make the choice to rejoice. Ooh, that could have been the name of the message, the choice to rejoice. You know, I love it because 2 Corinthians 16 or 6.10 says, as sorrowful, Paul says, yet always rejoicing. Woo, man. Paul practiced what he preached. He went through a whole lot. The reason I love Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 right here as well is because Paul is not on a merry-go-round or he's not on a, you know, Ferris wheel. Oh, I just saw a story yesterday. I didn't click it. I didn't have enough time, but it said 400-foot Ferris wheel. I think it was in Florida or somewhere. Loses power. People have to be rescued. Can you imagine being over a football field up high and they're rescuing you? <laughs> you know, you're hoping, I hope this works, you know? But guess what? Maybe if Paul was on that Ferris wheel, he could still rejoice. You know why? Because Paul's writing this from prison. He was facing horrific circumstances. In prison, he, uh, uh, many commentators believe he may have been, you know, chained between two guards, you know? We don't know exactly but we know the Roman prisons weren't like what many people consider hotels here in America today. They were horrifying. Sleeping on the cold ground, you know. And it's interesting that the smell of feces and feces and all kinds of disgusting. But Paul was also dealing, when you read Philippians, opponents of the gospel, false teachers. He was dealing with disunity in the church and trying to encourage people to get along in the faith, you know, and, have, and be unified. He was dealing with all sorts of problems, yet he has joy in the midst of his prison term. In fact, what blows me away about this book, Philippians, is that he mentions joy in this book more than all the other books that he's written. And this is one of his shorter books. It's just four chapters. It's not like 16 chapters of 1 Corinthians, you know? But he had joy. And I just love it that that shows us something, guys. I loved, I was reading this separately before I even chose this message and it made me think that, you know, when I was just reading through 2 Thessalonians, Paul says, and I, the verse caught my eye. I'm like, wow, that verse just is so powerful, but never hit me like that. He says, now may the Lord, may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Now that's powerful because Paul 
has joy in every circumstance. Now, Paul didn't always have the joy of the Lord in every circumstance. It's something he said he learned, which we're going to see him say that. But he hasn't now. Now he's praying for others. He says, he's praying. He says, now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace. See, he has peace, and he wants us to experience the Lord's peace. So he asked the Lord to grant his peace to us. Amen? In every circumstance, whether you're in prison, riding away because you, for preaching the gospel, or your Ferris wheel stopped and you're at the top and you don't know if you're going to live. He thought this was so fun. And he says, now this is, this is what I love about this. Continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. The key is being with the Lord. The Bible says there's no peace to the wicked. Isaiah said that two different times. There's no peace to the wicked, saith the Lord. But guess why? Just like the Lord has peace and we can have his peace. Peace I give to you. He said, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I give you peace. He says, not like the world gives you peace. I give you, Jesus gives us real peace. But this is the key. The Lord wants to know each and every one of us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be saved. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants us to be like him. He wants to experience the fruit of his spirit. What's the fruit of the spirit? Love, Galatians chapter 5. Right? Love, peace, joy. Right? Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. That all comes from God's spirit. His joy is communicated to us by his Holy Spirit, his presence. Do you understand? And when we're filled with the Spirit, then we can be filled with joy. It's about a person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, the Godhead. Now, this is really cool. Check this out. I'm going to give you some scriptures. Think them through. They all they associate joy with, the, with God, with the Lord God. The Lord is a joyful being. And that's the connection we need to understand. And I hope that you leave here with as you continue to go forward and we continue to seek Jesus together. And the thing is, when I had done this message, I've been working on this message and praying about it and seeking the Lord about it. And, and uh, I had one of those horrible dreams. And Steve and I have talked about this before. He's had these dreams, Pastor Steve over there, where you're dreaming and your message isn't ready, right? And you're up there. And, and I woke up. And I knew I was, had different things planned for the day. And I was like, I've got to get my message done. And I always make that a priority. But I was like... Man, but in my dream, it was a really crazy dream, but I came up to the pulpit and the pulpit was kind of sunken down a little bit, a couple inches, right? And when I got up there, I, the, the, I was below the pulpit and, I, and the microphone was going down. I shared it with Lisa when I woke up. I go, the microphone was down and I was like trying to see people, you know, and people were clamoring and there was confusion and everything. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm working on this. First thing I do in the, mess, in, in the morning, man, I'm, I'm working on my message because I work, I'm working on a lot of things at the same time. I'm going to work on my message, you know, until I have peace, you know. And by the time I got done, I'm like, man, now I got this message that's on my heart that's been burning on my heart. I'd already been working on it, but I want to get to a place where I had peace about it. Uh, and now it's like too long, but that's good because it's very solid. I want to share everything on there pretty much. And I tried to weed things out. I got, nope, I can't weed any more out, so to speak. And I'm talking about less priority stuff, you know, stuff that maybe not won't be as impactful. But you have to have things that are only impact, but things that connect those things so people see the big picture when you do a message. So I thought, I'm just, I'm, I prayed over and over again, Lord, do I cut this into two parts? <laughs> or I preach it all through, 20-some pages. I go, if I preach it all through, I'm going to be going so fast. People are going to leave, and they're going to hopefully get some points, and everybody will get something, but they'll leave maybe a little dizzy. And I say, Lord, I want people to have fullness of joy. So it was on my heart to break it up, and it ended up being, we'll see, but it looks like a, it was two to three-part message, but I'm calling it three right now. But one of the things I, wanted to not, thing I, I didn't want to chop out was all these scriptures that clearly show that joy is connected to the Lord. So we get this. Listen to this. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 27. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Okay, God is the place, God, joy is in his place, right? Zephaniah 3.17. I love this because we think of how God, we're supposed to praise God. We're created to know him and praise him and love him. But did you know he sings over you and he has great joy? Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt or rejoice over you with loud singing. 
Can you imagine hearing God's voice? You ever hear, you, you know, you hear a voice and you're like, that voice is just so amazing. That so amazing voice would be just like grating on you maybe compared to God's voice. I know what it sounds like a little bit because it says it's, it's loud. I know that much. And it says when he speaks in heaven, it's like thunder. He's got just many, it sounds like many waters. It's going to be powerful. But he sings over us with joy. He's a joyful being. Some of you are probably like, because I know when I first saw this, I was kind of tripping. I was like, wow. But then I didn't trip it that long because then I was like, wait a minute. That's how he's made us. A man will serenade a woman, a, you know, sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're made in his image. So no wonder. Of course he sings over us. Isn't that cool? So he's a joyful being and he sings. And by the way, singing is a huge connection to joy, which we're not going to get into praising him uh, with, our, with song uh, this particular Sunday. But that's going to be one of the things we look at eventually. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus has joy above his companions. He has more joy than anyone. That's where the joy is. Luke 15.10 uh, says, <laughs> Jesus said, I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And the other place said there's more joy in heaven. When one comes repentance, then... And by the way, in Matthew 25.21, what happens... When we enter into the kingdom, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. It's his joy. So joy isn't something you can get from an it or a thing or a can and open it up. I got joy. It's not going to ever happen. It comes from having a relationship with a person. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says rejoice in the who? In the Lord. Romans 15, 17 says, may the, may the God, of, now this is interesting. We're see, we've seen verses now that deal with that God is a joyful being, amen? There's joy in his presence, amen? And, but now I want to show you a connection because I thought, you know what? I first want to establish that God is a person of joy. So I sought out scriptures along those lines. Now I just want to show you a connection between us having joy because, he ha, because he's the God of all joy, amen? Romans uh, 5, 5, 13 May the God of hope fill your heart with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So we get hope from the Holy Spirit, but may God give this to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, peace, joy. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Psalm 1611, I love this. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of what? fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore come on guys don't you want to be in heaven with the lord don't you want to be with him forever in his in his presence is fullness of joy in his right hand are pleasures forevermore you know and he's a good god you don't have to doubt whether he's good one of the first scriptures i taught my children god is good i always told them that and one of the songs i'd pick up my guitar and sing god is so good, hallelujah. I, love, I still sing that song with you. It's just a reminder who he is. The Bible says he tempts no one. Amen? He's not evil, and he's no respecter of persons. He's not partial. He's omnibenevolent. You don't have to doubt whether he loves you. He wants you to experience his love. He wants you to experience his joy. Jesus died for each and every one of us, amen? That's the good news, amen? They died and rose again. Romans 14, 17, it says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat and drink. Praise God for meat and, and, and drinks, amen? But righteousness, kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we receive joy as we are, are, are part of the kingdom of God and we're seeking him. And we're growing in him. First Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now that's really powerful. You know? Incredible joy. And it's like you haven't seen him, but you have this great joy. It's like Rebecca. She's a picture of the church. Remember, God had Abraham offer up Isaac on the Mount Moriah, and he carried the wood like Jesus did up to the same mountain and everything, but it was 2,000 years earlier. It was a, the first passion play. It was a, re, a, a pre-enactment, right? A foreshadowing, a typology of Jesus on the cross. Well, after that, Isaac, who's a picture of Jesus, 
is in the field meditating on the word, and it says in the scripture that God sent his servant, or Abraham, who's a picture of the father, sends his servant Eliezer, which means servant, the Holy Spirit, is the one who brings people to Christ, amen? amen. And he goes and gets Rebecca, who's a picture of the bride, to bring to Isaac, even as the father sent not Eliezer, but the Holy Spirit to get the bride to bring us to Jesus, amen? amen. And when he goes and gets her, guess what? She is excited. She's, and he says a prayer. I don't have time to get into the whole thing. And, and then she, God sees, wow, providentially, he's answered that prayer. This Rebecca, he decks her out in all kinds of gifts, just like God's gifted us, amen? Gifts, 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 gifts of the Holy Spirit, amen? Then he brings her back all these miles on the 10 camels. It's like a picture of the law. It's a long, arduous trip, painful. She couldn't wait to get off and meet, guess who? Isaac, her, bride, her bridegroom, amen? amen? And the law leads us to Christ, amen? Christ. And guess what? She hadn't seen him yet, but she heard about him, and she was learning about him, and she, she was get going into an inheritance and everything else with this Isaac, who she'd fall in love with, but she already was in love with him before she met him. Now, guess what? We haven't seen Jesus yet, as it says, but we already have an express, inexpressible joy, but guess what? We have more than Eliezer. We have the Holy Spirit, amen, who lives in us, and we have a relationship with Jesus spiritually, but one day we'll see him with our eyes, and we'll be like him, it says. So praise God. He, he is amazing. And I just, uh, 16 times, Paul uses this term, joy, rejoice, in Philippians. And I want you to go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Philippians 3, verse 1. Now, look at this. It's interesting. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Here's one of the 16 times. In the Lord. There it is again, just like 4-4. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and is a safeguard for you. Paul would sometimes be repetitious because it wasn't trouble, but he wants to warn them, he wants to safeguard them. He's a preacher, okay? Uh, and he's, he's, he's warning them, but he wants them to be, be a safe, safeguarded, and he wants them to be able to rejoice in the Lord. So he explains to them how to do that, and one thing he shows them is that he learned how to be joyful in every circumstance, how to be content in every circumstance. In fact, look at verse 10. Well, uh, chapter 4. Go to chapter 4 now, verse 10. Chapter 4, verse 10. But I, but I rejoice, isn't that interesting? But there it is again. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want. Remember, he's in prison. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in what? In whatever circumstances I am, in all things and everything, I know how to get along with humble means, have very little, have nothing. And I know, uh, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Wow. He learned the lesson that when he had meager he went without food at times. We learned that from uh, his, own, you know, his own writings. He was flogged. He was whipped. He was stoned to death and left for dead, but didn't die. He went shipwrecked out of the deep, beaten with rods over and over again. Yet in all these circumstances, Paul was still able to have joy. Now he's writing from this prison. He has joy. It's not because Paul was a special guy, as special a guy as he was, but it's because he has a special God that gave him joy in those circumstances. What was his secret? He said, I learned the secret. He gives it to us. You don't have to read a big book called The Secret, which by the way, there's a book called The Secret, which is heretical, okay? Look at verse 13. Here's the secret. I can do all things through who? Him, Jesus Christ, who strengthens me. Meaning in the midst of the worst of circumstances, the Lord's love is there. The Lord's empowerment there is there. The Lord's charis there. He strengthens us by his grace, his charis, which brings great joy because he's the most important one to have. I, I went through, and it, I don't even want to talk about it, but I only bring it up because it's an example, but, you know, because uh, I, try, I try not to talk about myself too much, but, uh, but I just, you know, about a week ago, I went through this incredible, incredible, you know, I know a lot of people have gone through it, you know, I didn't realize how common it is. My whole lower back seized up just where I could barely move. I couldn't move. It was so painful. And I was like, and it just started from a little thing on the left side. And I thought, you know what? 
I bet my whole back is seizing up to protect whatever thought it was happening to my left side. And it was painful and I couldn't get a lot done. And, you know, and, you, and, you, and, you, and I, you know, I, I, I you know, studied and I was able to do things like that. But as far as physically, I couldn't do much. And I was like kind of bummed, you know, as far as like that's painful. But I was able to rejoice because my joy was not in my health. My joy was in Christ. Amen. And but I say this because what was interesting about this was that in the midst of the pain, it got me to a place where my, my prayers were more effective. Like where when I see, hear someone going through something, you know, or uh, I, is, I, I could tear up for them more easily, you know, and I do that already, but it was, it was more like all the time because I was had some excruciating pain. And instead of complaining about that pain and getting upset with God or anything like that, that didn't even come to my mind, you know. It was, it was like, Lord, you know, use this to your glory somehow. I don't know how long this is going to last, you know, uh, weeks, months, the rest of my life or whatever. And I look more into it and it's a common thing. Your back spasms, seizes the whole thing up and then it takes some time, you know. And uh, you get some hot on it, you get some cold on it and so forth. And, and I realized I need to do some strengthening my lower back exercises, you know, uh, after I got better, that was. But in the midst of it, it brought an intimacy with Jesus. Isn't that interesting? I went up, remember they, I was in the hospital for almost a week and they said I was going to die of COVID for sure, and I didn't. But at that time, it created a greater intimacy with Jesus and a greater, a greater experience of his joy. If you're going through intense pain or dire circumstances, uh, don't just look at the circumstance. Look at the Lord and look at what he wants to do in the circumstance and trust him and obey him and accept his sovereignty, accept his providence, accept that he's ultimately in control and that he, anything that happens, he allows through, he, he filters it, amen, by his grace and he's gonna work it together for the good in your life, amen? And I, and I had, but so I don't get it, you know, and you know what, some of you are experiencing pain right now. Some of you are experiencing uh, problems with your health. Uh, and, and going through situations where it's like, man, am I going to even live? Or how long am I going to live? Or, or do I have to live with this pain? Is he promises us not to allow us to go through more than we're able to handle. But with the trial or temptation, the Greek word is prosmos, can mean either or, he will give us a way of escape that we may be able to endure it. Sometimes we have to endure through something. Remember Paul, three times he asked the Lord, he said to take this thorn in the flesh. It was just so aggravating and so painful for him. But he said, the Lord's grace, the Lord came to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you, right? And I've given these things to you, Paul, because you're going to be puffed up because of all the revelations you got in writing scripture, and I'm keeping you from falling because of pride, because pride goes before fall. Holy Spirit goes before destruction. And Paul was remained humble because he went through this experience that kept him seeking the Lord rather than getting his eyes on himself. And the Lord lets us go through all sorts of things. And it's not always for that reason. Sometimes it's just part of the fall. Sometimes it's because we live in a fallen world where all, the Bible says the outer man is decaying, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. There's something else at work. And when people's health is failing them, they look at that, just that part sometimes. And the non-believer can't look anywhere else and they just have depression. But guess what? We're able to look at Jesus, amen, and say, wow, my inner man is being renewed day by day and God's working this together for the good in my life, all the good in my life. He makes all things beautiful in his time. And Lord, what are you doing? And, and what's most important to me is that I know you so help me grow in my, my, my walk with you. Amen? Amen? So Paul says he learned the secret of how to be content in all and every circumstance. How? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So whatever circumstance you're in, rely on Christ. He'll get you through it. Amen? He is good. Okay? Now, it's interesting because we also have to have the right attitude if we're going to have joy. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, how we have to be focused on being a blessing to others because Jesus is better to give than receive. If you're just focused on yourself and you're narcissistic, you know, you're going to be depressed, Okay. The Bible says not just look in your own interest, but the interest of others. Better to give than to receive. Remember, we've talked about that illustration. I think it's just a great illustration of why is the dead sea the dead sea? Because water flows in, but it never what? Never flows out, right? But the Sea of Galilee is like just beautiful, more beautiful than Tahoe, guys. 
not this coming year, not this year, now it's this year, right? Now, now we're this year, new year, new day. Not this year, but next year, Lord willing, we'll have an Israel trip, okay? I'm gonna be going over there because we're filming a documentary on fulfilled prophecy regarding Israel, which we're all excited about, but uh, that's gonna be work. So the next year, we'll go with the church. It'll still be work for me, but not for you, you know? But I have joy in, in my work, in the Lord. It's a, it's, it's a blessing. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be held onto or grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of the cross, even death on a cross. Wow, for this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow, so we're supposed to have the same attitude Jesus had. Let, King James says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, amen? So Jesus had a mind to not just think of himself, I'll let them all go to hell. No, he came and gave himself for us. Where's the joy in that? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Amen? Amen. Now, we are to have an attitude of ministering to others and humbling ourselves and being servants. And that's what Paul's talking about in Philippians uh, as well. That's, we're in Philippians again. Did you notice that? Yeah. Talking about the keys to joy, the true keys to joy. But look at this. It comes back to the person. The focus is, what's Paul's focus? Christ and imitating Christ. Amen. You want it, you want, why do we want joy? Because guess what? We're created in the image of God. Amen. And when we don't have joy, we know something's missing. Right. And we're not complete. And we're deficient. But we fell. Jesus died for us, not only to forgive us our sins, but now he transforms us into his image by the Holy Spirit. And we put off the old things, the old clothes, the old sinful things. We put on the, the, the things of Christ. Amen. And guess what we get to put on? Praise God. Joy. Amen. That's part of the, one of the components. But we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to become like him and imitate him and seek him and dwell in his presence. Now look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, the very next chapter over. I love this, man. This is one of the most radical passages in the Bible. Pick it up at verse 7. But whatever things were gained to me, he's talking about when he was a Jew who was having Christians put to death, who was celebrated among the Jews as an upcoming young, you know, seer. Uh, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of what? The surpassing value of what? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Amen. Knowing, it's about knowing Jesus. It's not about just coming to church. It's not about just, you know, reading the Bible here and there. Saying a flare prayer it's about knowing Jesus, having a relationship with him, seeking him, having intimacy with him, spending time with him in prayer, spending time with him in his word. Amen? It's, for Paul says, I love this, more than that, I count all things to be, all things to be lost in view, the, in view of the surpassing value. It's the surpassing value. Knowing Jesus is a value that surpasses anything this world has to offer. In view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may what? Gain Christ. So guess what, Paul? Man, when you looked at Paul, it looked like every circumstance was against him. He's in prison. He, he, who knows when he's gonna get out? He may rot there or die. He may get put to death, right? Uh, a lot of people don't know what's going on there, you know? But he has joy still because the main thing, having Christ, he sees, is the true treasure, is the, is, is trumps everything else, Amen. So no matter what circumstance you go in, you have Jesus, you're in good shape. Verse nine, and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus or faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him. There it is again, that I may what? Know him and the power of his resurrection, amen, and the fellowship of his sufferings, which he's going through right now in a Philippian prison, being conformed to his death and becoming more and more like Jesus, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In the Greek, it doesn't reflect it. In most translations, it doesn't reflect it here, but he literally says the out-resurrection, the ek, 
ek, the preposition ek means out. The resurrection out from among the dead. Those would be people resurrected to damnation and people resurrected to life. And Paul wants to be part of that resurrection, the out-resurrection, the resurrection to life. Amen. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may what? Lay hold of that for which I also have been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Man, he seeks you before you seek him. Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. But guess what? He's the one that says draw near to me. He's drawn near to you first. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Don't stay focused on your past. Man, if you're always looking in the rearview mirror, man, you're going to get in an accident. Amen? Look forward, man. You only use a rearview mirror to know how to make more progress. Amen? Forgetting what lies behind. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, can one of your New Year's resolutions be to press on in Jesus? Press on to the goal, the high upward call of Christ Jesus. Amen? To get to know him better. The more you seek to know him, then the joy will come. That's why I'm not talking about, here, you'll find joy under this rock. Or No, I'm saying, seek Jesus. Put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek him and joy will be the outcome. Amen? Oh, yeah. Amen. Now, now to, to know the Lord Jesus is to have joy. And the, greater, the more greatly you know him, the more intimate you are with him, the more joy you will experience. Do you understand? How do you get to know Jesus? Well, when I got to know my wife, do you think we just sat there driving? We, I got to know her a lot driving my Jeep, not my little Jeep truck here, but I had a CJ5 when I met Lisa. I actually met her in school prior to that, just as an acquaintance. But when we started, before we were actually you know, married, right, we were driving a lot. Well, I knew Jesus. You know how I knew I got to know Lisa? She actually talked a little bit. Well, if you know my wife, she talked quite a bit, you know. I talk more, she always says, I talk more than her, you know, but uh, if I get together with people, you know that, you know who mostly talks to the other person. I listen a lot to you, but I'm up here and I'm going to preach, man, and get you to know Jesus best I can. So it's interesting because when uh, I'm with uh, Lisa, I got to know her really well because she expressed her heart. It was beautiful, you know, to see her growing in the Lord and wanting more of Jesus and so forth. But if she refused to ever say a word, I wouldn't really know her right? I needed to hear her. But you know who else I was hearing and who else I knew and someone I know even better is Jesus. Because guess what? When she met me, guess what she started doing? Because I was encouraged to do it and she does it uh, as well is she saw a whole baggie and it wasn't a baggie of pot like my old days before I became a Christian. You know, it was a bag full of little cards filled with scripture. Because as a young Christian, man, I, was, I didn't even know, nobody told me to do it. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know any Christians. I started memorizing God's word. I started writing them down on cards. Just memorizing his word. Filling. And I got to know him. I, got, I read his word, you know, and spent time in his word. That's where I get to know him because out of the heart, the mouth speaks, amen? And I get to know his heart by spending time in his word. So, brothers and sisters, I'm challenging you this year. Get to know Jesus better. But one of the ways, you, the main way you get to know him is through his word, amen? amen. Spend time in the word. Can I encourage you this year Amen. to make it a goal, if you haven't done it yet especially, but to, but to read the Bible through in a year. It's not that hard. Just a little bit each day. Just read four or five chapters a day and eventually you'll get there, you know. And you can go online. You can find a very good reading plans. You know, you can also get a one-year uh, one Bible and it just gives you the portions, the portions it out. Makes it easy for you. I've gone through the Bible in a chronological Bible, which is pretty good because you go chronologically, it puts the books in, 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 in a chronological order. It was really cool when I did that. But, and spend time meditating on God's word. I want to challenge you right now. Don't just let this go in one or out the other. If you haven't determined and don't have a plan to go through into the word, not just as I'm sharing with you, but on your own, amen? I'm feeding you the word right now. And the Bible says, Paul's, you know, Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. That's one of the commands I have as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor. Amen, yeah. But sheep also need to learn to graze on their own. Amen? Amen? So they grow strong. Babies are spoon-fed, right? I know I don't just spoon-feed you. You know that. I give you a lot of meat. Sometimes you go, 
Okay, okay, a little more, a <laughs> little more, a little more uh, baby food, okay? So I try to get both, you know? But I want to, those who are grown up more, I want them to get the meat too, right? And now, it's, now I want to encourage you in Jesus to feed on God's word. It's food, man. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen? And guess what? That's, there's a lot of joy in his word. That's because you get to know him, and he's full of joy, and his word is living. In fact, listen to what we read out at Jeremiah. There's joy connected to reading his word and hearing his word and being his word. Chapter 15, verse 16 of the book of Jeremiah, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy. Your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. So because it's in his word that we see his promises, amen? We see, uh, we see what we've been and how God loves us in spite of what we've been and how he, and we see his mercy, his plan of redemption, his forgiveness, his, his promises not only for us now, but also for the future and that we have hope and that we have an eternal home in the heavens, amen? amen. And that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth where we're going to be with him forever. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 14 and 110 and 111 and 162. I rejoice in following your statutes. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever, and they are the joy of my heart. I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil or treasure. Brothers and sisters, man, this is the word called, called the word of life, amen? Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away, amen? So man, you have the word of life that transmits joy to you because it's God's word, amen? Read it, read it, meditate upon it, memorize it. Psalm, in Psalm 119, the same song, I've hid your word in my heart, so I will not sin against you. It'll keep you from sin. Sin destroys a relationship with God. Your sin has separated from me. If, if you just go and live a life of sin and reject God and rebellion to God, you're rejecting relationship with him. So I've hid your word in my heart so I won't sin against you. And the same psalmist says in 119, how can a young man keep his way pure but by keeping it according to thy word? 1 John 2, 12 through 14. Young man, you are strong and you have overcome the porneron, the evil one, because the word of God abides in you. Man, you want victory for life this new year? You want victory over sin, which is the enemy of our, our relationship with God, an enemy of joy? Stay in God's word, amen? Right. It's been said, man, a Bible that's fallen apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Amen? Getting in the word. So I want to encourage you. Do you have a plan to read the word? And if you haven't, don't have a plan where you systematically read it, get one in your heart. Go before the Lord and say, Lord, help me to read your word every day. And you can have a goal to get through in a year, but if you don't get through in a year, you say, man, I, Joe, I got through it in half a year, four months. Then keep reading, read, do it again. Or, go, do, or just study the word. Meditate on the word. You know, we're called to meditate on the word. And you read Joshua 1.8, when you read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it talks about the one who meditates in Psalms. Is like, it says you, know, you, you prosper through meditating on his word. In Psalm, it talks about a man prospers because he meditates in your word. And guess what? That's lost art in the church today. And praise God, I'm all for reading through the scripture. But a lot of people read and they don't meditate on God's word. Okay, and then they forget it. The Bible says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Right? Deceiving your own selves or deleting your own selves. You don't want to just read, you want to be a doer of the word. And how do you do the word, man? You meditate on it. You, you take it to heart. You, you, you think about what you're reading. So sometimes it's good to just take a passage or a verse. Sometimes I'll memorize a verse. Sometimes I'll memorize a passage. Sometimes I'll memorize an entire book just so I can have God's word in me. And man, it really helps me grow. It helps me understand other scriptures, how they fit together and what have you. So I'm encouraging you right now, meditate on his word. And that word meditate, it's, it's in the Hebrew, it has the idea of ruminating. Cows ruminate. I think God gave us cows as a picture of what it means to meditate as Christians. Now, some people, well, meditation, isn't that new agey? Isn't that Eastern mysticism? Yeah, there's new age, Eastern mystical meditation. I'm not talking about that. That's how I opened myself up to the demons before I became a Christian and realized that, there was, that Satan was real. Eastern meditation is about emptying yourself and looking inward and wanting inner power for yourself's sake. Biblical meditation is not looking inward. It's looking outward toward God, amen? And it's not about emptying yourself. It's about filling yourself with God's word, Amen? 
And then what happens with a cow when it ruminates? They're ruminating. It's a ruminator. It ruminates. It has four stomachs. And the stomach, and, and that grass will go into one stomach, right? It'll be regurgitated and it's been fermented and stuff and broken down. It'll chew it more. And that happens because it gets more nutrients out of the, out of the grass that way. Okay? I'm going to go start eating grass. Well, no, you don't have four stomachs. Okay? But guess what? That cow, man, for me, grass becomes this big, strong creature that gives us milk and meat. Rib, rib eyes and back straps and tri-tip and... Oh, I shouldn't say this so close to lunch. <laughs> By the way, I will not be here long after fellowship. <laughs> New, Year, New Year's Day, you know. Uh, but uh, if anybody needs prayer, I'll be here for you. So please come up. We'll have the brothers up here for prayer. We'll pray for you. Uh, but I want to encourage you, man. Because they ruminate. They give milk and meat to the world in mass. Because Christians that meditate on the word are able to give the milk and meat of God's word to the world. Yeah. Amen? Amen? But it doesn't come by just looking at the word. Oh, I got a Bible up there on my shelf. That looks cool. No, no, man, you need to get in the Bible. Amen? And it needs to get in you. And so I want to challenge you to be in the word. Amen? Oh, yeah. Now, uh, this is important too. Obedience is a key to having joy. How can you obey the Lord if you don't know what he says and you're not reading his word? Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 9 and following. Just as a father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This is Jesus teaching. I mean, he's the vine and we're the branches and that we must abide in the vine. Amen. And we'll bear much fruit. Amen. Amen. Then he says, abide in me. And, 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 you know, and, and then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. Catch that? These things I have spoken to you that my joy, that's his joy. Are you seeing how this, what this message is all about? Yes. It's his joy. And he wants us to experience his joy. And that's where the joy is. It's not in it. It's not in a thing. It's in him. Amen? Amen. And he's the vine and we're the branches. And as we abide in him and we spend time with him in his word, we spend time seeking him in prayer. Amen? and we get closer to him, we experience his joy. It's beautiful. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Wow. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have joy, right? That you might have life, he said. And that you might have it more abundantly, amen? But he wants us to have abundant life, which is a joyful life. And he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, when he uses the analogy of a vine and branches, he's showing it that we are spiritually connected to him. But as we abide in him, this is my commandment, he says as well, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So, man, now I see, okay, this is what, I need to know his word, amen? And then when I know his word, I know to lay my life down for my friends, amen? And emulate Jesus, amen, and be like him. And let this mind be in myself that's in Christ Jesus. And by obeying Jesus, which only comes from knowing Jesus, I'm able to experience Jesus and the fullness of his joy, amen? amen, amen. So I want you to consider a resolution is to stay in God's word daily, day by day, momentarily. Always have God's word in your heart. And a great way to meditate on scripture is just simply memorize scripture. I'll go, I'll take a scripture to walk with me. And I'll walk and guess what, man? It makes my walk way easier. I want to go down there. And if I'm just going down there, way down there and back or my hike, you know, it's, sometimes I want to just do it. I want to be outside and praise God for you and just praise him and stuff. Other times, man, I got a lot of things going, but man, and it could be a little painful, man. You're going uphill. It's like, guess what, man? I memorized scripture. It's like that hill was nothing, man, because I was focused on the scripture. It says, the Bible says, physical exercise is good for little, but spiritual exercise is good for much, not only in this life, but the life to come. Amen. Amen. And what I like is I can do physical exercise while I'm doing spiritual exercise. So I take my scriptures on walks with me. I take them in the shower with me. I take the scripture with me when I go to bed at night and I wake up to them and, because I'm constantly trying to memorize scripture. I don't ever feel like I've arrived because Paul says I've not yet been perfected. But guess what? He says I strive, I press on to know the Lord, amen, and that I may, may attain to the out-resurrection among the dead. 
How much more time do we have, Jonathan? 10 minutes? Okay, praise God, because <laughs> I, got through, I got through one thing. <laughs> he's lying, it's 20? The nursery is saying, he's lying, it's, it's 10 minutes late. No, just kidding. I got to be careful of those guys up there. Uh, but amen. I praise God for the set of <laughs> Israel. Uh, the next thing, and we'll just cover this in uh, a few minutes, but because I've been talking about it as well, the word, but it's prayer. It's spending time with the Lord in prayer. Prayer is often connected to joy, and that's how we get to know the Lord better. Amen? How? Not just his reading his word, but when you have a conversation with somebody, it's a two-way street. Amen? The Lord wants us to talk to him, and he calls us to pray without ceasing. Amen? In fact, listen to Romans 12, 12 and how prayer is connected to joy. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and through 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. John 16, 24. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Wow. In John 15 and 16, Jesus connects fullness of joy to obeying his word and being in his word and abiding in him and to praying. Both times he talked about our joy being full. Isn't that interesting? He connected it to joy, prayer. Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, Praying, this is in Jude 20. You, beloved, building yourself up. You want to build yourself in your faith? Building yourself up in your most holy faith. Faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And I love that. He says, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So building yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, right? Why, you know? Because we're looking we want to be in the love of God and we're waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's the consummation or our final salvation. Verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. I love that because guess what? When he's talking about praying in the Holy Spirit, right? He's talking about, uh, uh, you know, praying in the Holy Spirit and keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Then he talks about the mercy that we're waiting for. Then he wants us to extend that mercy, right? Save others who are doubting. Snatch them out of the fire, right? Save others hating the garment that's been polluted by the flesh. In other words, guess what? When you're praying in the Holy Spirit, you're seeking the Father. You say, Father, use me to your glory. Father, I want to glorify you. Father, fill me with your spirit and so forth. Guess what? The Holy Spirit then says, yeah, you want my mercy. You have my mercy. But guess what? You need to reach people with my mercy. And that's why right after he says that, he says, you know, save some who are down and snatch some out of the fire, right? And some with fear, right? Hated the garment that's polluted by the flesh. Why? Because guess what? Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say come. Let him that hears say come. Whosoever will let him come and drink of the water freely without cost. In other words, the spirit of God's at work. His eyes go to and fro throughout the earth looking for those he can strengthen. Amen. He desires those who will worship him, Jesus said, in spirit and truth. That is the Father does. He wants to worship in spirit and truth. So the more I seek the Father, the more I get close to Jesus, the more I have his heartbeat, the more I want to snatch people out of the fire, the more I want to save those who are doubting, the more I want to approach those who are tainted by the flesh with fear, it says, so you don't get tainted by the flesh too when you're rescuing them, the more you want to be about his mission. So guess what? The closer you get to Jesus, the more you become like him and the spirit transforms you to be Christ-like and Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And you'll know if you're getting closer to Jesus because you want to see lost people saved. You want to be more involved in making sure people come to Christ, amen? You'll be involved in evangelism. You'll be involved in reaching the lost. I have more to say about this next week because this year we're going to have a very strong emphasis on local evangelism. Our church goes all around the world and does all kinds of cr crazy things, and it's great, especially with our Good Fight Ministries, but also we go on mission trips. But we're going to focus strongly this year on local missions here in Simi Valley, trying to reach a lot of people for Christ in Simi, amen? And we've got various things, uh, ideas of various things that we're going to do. But I'll tell you what, we want to have a heart for the lost, and that's what Paul has a heart for here in, uh, in Philippians and to strengthen the believers. Now, 
when I'm talking about prayer, go to Philippians 4. Look what Paul says. How do you have joy? How does prayer contribute to your joy? Philippians 4.4, 4, we started there. As far as the first verse we actually looked at, by opening the scripture, I mentioned other verses first. Rejoice, verse 4, in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit. Now, how do we rejoice in the Lord? How, do we, how can we always be rejoicing? Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by what? Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. Wow. Don't worry about anything, but everything. Pray about it, man. Let it, to the Lord talk to him. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen? So guess what? I can rejoice, and again, I can rejoice, and why? Because I can handle whatever circumstance I'm in, I give to the Lord. Amen? I can pray about it, and I ought to be praying every day. Amen. And therefore, I can keep rejoicing because I know he's in control, and I know he's good. Right. Amen? And you know what? Paul's in prison, but guess what he's thinking about? You think he's thinking about, man, how bad these, prison, these guards smell next to him or these other prisoners? No, look what he says, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So brothers and sisters, we dwell on his word, which is perfect. We dwell on Jesus, who's perfect, lovely, honorable, praiseworthy, and everything else. We dwell on what God's doing, amen? Wonderful things. He's done wonderful things. And he continues to do wonderful things in our lives. And guess what? By doing that, we can rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We have a reason to continually rejoice because the Lord is always before us. And he's perfectly good and perfectly trustworthy. I just praise God. So I want to encourage you also to... Make sure that you, you know, I left one off of this one. I'm glad I have more than one part because there's, a, I had, I've got, I've got, a, I think, six or seven Ps. So we just covered, we covered a, the person of Jesus and prayer. Amen. So those are two, those are the two major keys, though, man. And the other ones follow, in which you'll see how that fits together. But I want to challenge you right now. Seek Jesus and get to know him more this year. Amen. How do you seek him? How do you get to know him better? By what? His word and by what? Praying. I want to challenge you to pray. Be a person of prayer. Talk to the Lord. He's with you. He's waiting for you to seek him. It hurts his heart. It grieves his spirit when you don't talk to him. Now, no one's going to be perfect at praying without ceasing. No one's going to be perfect in, in reading the word. Amen? That's Praise God, he's a God of grace. And the more you read his word, the more you realize that he knows that our frames are weak, he says, and that we're made of dust. He takes that into account. The worst thing that you've ever done, God knew you were gonna do it before you were ever created. But he still decided to send his son for you, amen? He still decided to die for you and, and love you and save you. So don't approach God thinking he wants to hammer you. The Bible says to enter with confidence, the throne of grace, amen? It's not the throne of wrath where God wants to destroy us. It's the throne of grace for the believer, amen? He was in Christ Jesus, not holding our trespasses against us, amen? So I wanna encourage you, seek him in his word this year. Seek him in prayer. Be a man and a woman of the word. Be men and women of prayer, amen? amen. Can we all please stand? Let's pass out the cup and the bread.